Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. As you're considering your plans for next year, we wanted to let you know TVC is embarking on a Journeys of Paul tour July 7-16, through 16, 2024. We'll step into history and walk where the Apostle Paul walked as we visit Philippi, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and many other meaningful locations. This tour will bring the scriptures to life with worship services and Bible studies with Pastor Jim. You can learn more at thevillagechapel.com slash tour. This week, we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Jim. Hey, so glad you've joined me again for our study of Mark's Gospel. We're going to finish up chapter 3 today with an interesting, I mean, fascinating account in verses 31 to 35 at the end of the chapter here. Um, Let me just kind of set the general context for you. His uh, public ministry is in full swing. Jesus has been out teaching and preaching the good news, the gospel, calling people to repent and believe. He has been uh, working miracles of all kinds. And so his ministry included both words and works. Uh, He has healed diseases. He will raise dead people uh, back to life. He will... uh, he has he has power and authority over natural disasters. We'll see that when we get to chapter four. Uh, he calms a, an insane storm and and some really high seas out there on the uh, on the Sea of Galilee for his uh, his his friends who are his disciples uh, and fishermen. And then um, we also see that he has power over demonic or dark forces. Now he's just come through uh, a section of Mark chapter three talking about that. He's got accused by the religious establishment of uh, serving the purposes of Satan. Uh, They're saying that he is possessed by Beelzebub and that he casts out demons by by the, the leader of all the demons, by Satan himself. And so all of that's happening. And then we enter right in here. This is a crowded house, lots of people there. Probably Capernaum is the the setting. And uh, I'm going to take one sip of coffee and then we're going to... We're going to roll right into this. You can see people pressing in on him uh, in your imagination, if you will, as we read this. And it says here his family shows up. And, you know, I don't know about you, but, uh, man, that that can always provide for an interesting dynamic. And it does so here as well. Verse 31 says, And his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Again, the house is so jam-packed full. And here we have the, I think there's just two references to Mary, the mother of Jesus here in uh, Mark's gospel. So this is the first one. The next one's in chapter six, I believe it is, where she's named there. Here, it's just your mother. And the, interest, the other interesting thing he has mentioned here, of course, is brothers. And so we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, he's got evidently brothers. And that, says a, that raises a whole lot of questions as well. The multitude, though, comes and says to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. So they've come actually looking for him. They've been following him around. We get that impression. 
Uh, but we also get the impression that his brothers have not, uh, you know, really bought in on the claims of Jesus, and uh, they're not sure what to think of him. And that is manifest, I think, here as well. So as they tell the the folks that are the multitude uh, tell Jesus as he's teaching in the house there, behold, your mother brothers are in, are outside looking for you. He answered them, and he said to them, Who are my mother and my brother. Such an interesting question, isn't it? You know, I mean, when you say, hey, they're out there, your family's here. And then he raises the question, who are my mother and my brothers? And Jesus is so skilled with rhetorical questions uh, that get us to think. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's pushing back a little and saying, let's think about this. Uh, verse 34, and looking about on those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. And again, this would have been puzzling to so many people, myself included, when I first read it. And then he goes on to explain, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so he's essentially um, correcting their understanding of the family of God, what it means to be a part of the family of God. So I want to think about that just for a little bit here uh, today on Timeless Truth. I think it's just fascinating. Uh, As he clarifies what it means to be part of God's family, uh, people who could rightly claim to be followers of of Jesus, I see at least three characteristics or three aspects here. Relationship, proximity, and faithfulness. And I think those three aspects are probably... Um, categories that are worth talking about as you might be a part of or belong to any family, uh, any group, uh, any institution. You know, there, there are aspects of relationship. There are aspects about, you know, things about proximity and faithfulness to be sure. The people listed here were in relationship with Jesus for sure, a blood relationship. And uh, they were often, I'm sure, in close proximity to Jesus when he walked the earth. And remember, he's like 30 years old now. So, I mean, it's been a while, you know, that they have been hanging out together. And, and as he, as he grew up in the family there and as he, you know, played with his brothers and we'll even read there are sisters involved in some of the other accounts. And so you, you, when, when you have that kind of relationship in this particular case with these people, very much a physical bloodline relationship. This is a familial relationship, um, and, and, you know, in, in the most normal kind of sense of that word. But I think, uh, I think what we have here are some concerned family members, actually, don't we? Uh, they were struggling to understand what was going on with Jesus. I think a generous reading of this account could still see them as acting out of sort of a loving faithfulness to Jesus as they struggled to understand what was going on, all that was going on in his life. Um, And I would say this, struggling to understand Jesus is nothing new and it hasn't stopped. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm a guy that struggles with that as well. They knew him best. They were, you know, his family, immediate family, and they were struggling. And um, even though um, the longer I know him, the more I actually find myself struggling to understand what he might be thinking or he might be uh, working on or how he might have something planned for me and what that might be. And I'm struggling with him in, in different ways. And in ways, 
that will either drive me to wonder and belief and amazement and awe, or if I allow it to, it will uh, lead me down paths of, of doubt and anger, uh, disappointment and confusion. And I don't know where you're at in your uh, relationship with Jesus, but I think it's worth, uh, as we read a passage like this, I think it's worth asking some of those questions. Let's see what their struggle was and what kind of help Jesus offered to them. Uh, and then uh, I think that'll tell us a little bit about the kind of uh, help that is available for us. Um, I don't think Jesus uh, intentionally just likes to leave people dumbfounded. I, I don't think that's it. Uh, awe and wonder are one thing, and those are very positive things. I think we were wired for wonder. Um, but to just leave us uh, upset or afraid or perplexed, no, 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 no. Over and over again, uh, Jesus is saying, do not fear. It's the most often repeated command in the Bible. So <clears throat> let's talk about the relationship for just a second. Uh, we view ourselves as living in relationship with Jesus if we're Christians, if we're believers in Jesus. In verse 31, um, you, you, could, you could talk about Mary, uh, who in a moment like this um, could have been asking herself the question, did I hear right 30 years ago when that angel appeared to me um, and told me I was going to be pregnant? After all, I was a virgin at the time. After all, uh, the angel said, not only are you going to have a baby, it's going to be a boy. And you're going to name him Jesus, which means God saves or God is my salvation. And he's going to save his people from their sins. All of that was told to uh, by angels to angel appearances to Mary and Joseph both. And, um, and so it's fascinating to think of her 30 years later and all of this stuff is starting to happen. And it's like the G-forces on the speed at which all of this is happening could have put Mary in a place where she's kind of puzzled and, and, and wondering about what's going on. Uh, as I say, in Mark chapter 6 is the only other occasion where she's referred to, or um, in, and in Mark 6, she is indeed named, but she's called the mother uh, not only of Jesus, but of James, Joseph, uh, Judas, and Simon, plus some unnamed sisters of Jesus are mentioned there. So I think this is pretty significant when we think about Mary. Um, those who seek to make too much of Mary, especially her perpetual virginity, have got a difficulty here, I think, in being able to deal with this. Um, I'd suggest it also has significant um, uh, significance for those who make too little of Mary as well, or they don't make enough of her character and, and the unique position that she was in. Consider like I say, what well, what was going through your mind as his public ministry began and and that 30 30 year ago event with the with the angels and all that. And now here he was teaching, healing, performing exorcisms, making all of those astonishing claims. And now facing some serious opposition from the religious leadership of their time. I mean, right there in the, the you know, the community that that she lives in and in the nation that she has grown up in, in that context, all of the revered um, uh, religious authorities are now, uh, and, and the ones that don't get along with each other, are now conspiring against her 30-year-old son, 32-year-old son, something like that, okay? And so all those teach, all the teachings about the claims that sounded so outright, son of man, he's claiming to be the Messiah. Well, that's 
kind of what that angel said, that's true. But 30 years later, as she's still holding on to all of those thoughts and keeping it together, I don't, I don't know. I can imagine that over a 30-year period of time, uh, some of that comes and goes and undulates a little bit. Perhaps she had misunderstood the angelic messenger. Perhaps uh, it was a time that she needed to talk some sense into him at this point. Oh, and by the way, do you know who is missing here? Um, may maybe you thought of this. I don't know. But uh, where was Joseph in this? Uh, had he had he passed from the scene by now? His death isn't mentioned. We don't really have any record of it. Uh, perhaps it's just assumed, or perhaps it's part of the um, uh, the gospel writer's intention was not to make so much out of him anyway, since he wasn't the biological father of Jesus. Um, had had he died by then or not? I don't know. Uh, we can only begin to speculate. <clears throat> what any mother might have been going through facing the opposition of these religious authorities and seeing all of these you know crowds gathering around her son and all that and uh, but but she was his mother and those were his brothers and throughout human history i think it's an accepted fact that family relationships come with both privileges and responsibilities and so they came on that day because they, as, as we were told earlier in the chapter, they were going to literally, um, uh, they wanted to uh, take him, take custody of him. I think I made the point in the last episode that it's, it's tantamount to, they felt like he was, you know, out of his mind and they were going to take him and uh, essentially put him in a straitjacket and uh, confine him a little because he seemed to be, uh, in their minds, perhaps self-destructive and not good for the culture, that sort of thing. So, Relationship, yes, but misunderstood. Um, the second word, proximity. Uh, so relationship, proximity, and faithfulness. That's what we're kind of talking about out of this passage. For what uh, uh, ever may have been lacking in their faith during those moments, the mother of Jesus and his brothers were indeed there. Um, they had not abandoned him, but had maintained a closeness and a fellowship in their relationship with Jesus. Um, and while it may be necessary for some folks to worship um, Jesus from a distance, I get that, that. We have that in our own day and time. There are some folks, for instance, who um, uh, you know, have to worship from online, for instance. They might be shut-ins. They might live in an area where there are no churches whatsoever. And I know it's so hard for so many American pastors and uh, seminarians and all that sort of thing to imagine that there's a place where there couldn't be like 15 different good, great churches that are going to teach the gospel and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, you just need to get out more. I'm telling you, the world is full of empty spaces, empty places. And uh, sometimes it's just necessary. Is it the best? No. Proximity is really important. It's, it's, it's really, really important. So if you have proximity to a church where you can worship Jesus and gather with God's people, you ought to be doing that. Make no mistake about it. Um, but I, I think sometimes people talk, decry that idea so much that uh, uh, in some ways they marginalize, further marginalize those people who have no option. Um, and uh, so I, I, I know myself having relatives that are elderly and cannot get out. I know myself having heard from some people that listen to this podcast and or uh, worship with us online at the Village Chapel from literally around the world. And there just isn't 
uh, an evangelical church just down the road that they can go to. And they're interested in worshiping and fellowshipping with people um, who are believers going to encourage them in the gospel. So the best and healthiest thing is to join together in close proximity with with, uh, believers and followers of Jesus. That's true. But if you can't do the next best thing, whatever you can do to be a part of something, to be in proximity, even if it's online, with other believers uh, that you can both serve and uh, be served by them, be encouraged by them, if you will. So I'm reminded of that as I look at this passage. Um, this family, uh, these family members show up, even though the house is full, and they they are not on the inside of the house, they're on the outside of the house. And so they have come late. They weren't the first ones in the door, but um, uh, we know that they love him. It seems like they're there in their own mind anyway to help him uh, with his best interest in mind. But I know some people could argue, oh, they're just embarrassed. They're just uh, by what he's doing. They're afraid it's going to come back on them somehow. I don't know. Um, I don't know. You you can think that way if you want to. I'm going to lean in the direction of a more generous reading on it. Um, I love what uh, uh, Carl Truman says in The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Great book. He says, the very idea of community has been evacuated of the notion of bodily proximity and presence. One might be tempted to despair at this point if it were not for the fact that human beings still need to belong, to be recognized, and to have community, a real community where real people look after each other in terms of meeting very real needs. And I think that's true of, well, I know it's true of me. I I believe it's true of all of us. I think human beings are hardwired for community. And so isolation, even if you're an introvert, isolation is not really um, your highest good. Um, I, I think we need to be with others. Um, and they need us as well to be with them. So important. And as you gather as a church, if you're if you're able to in in you know a physical, real sense of gathering, um, man, when you go, don't walk in thinking like a guest. Think like a host. Uh, you be the one to look out every, look out for the folk who are sitting alone and nobody's talking to, and they need some welcome. They they need some sense of belonging. Be that person. Be that host yourself. And even if you've just been going to the church for a couple weeks, act like a host. I think it's really, really great that we get that into our heads. So relationship is important. I think that's highlighted here. I think proximity is is highlighted here and it's very important. And I think Truman is right about that. And I and by the way, I think Jesus needed that too. So if we if we believe in the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus, I think we can make that statement that he needed that community too. Um, and even as he points to the crowd in the room and says, these are my mother, these are my real mother, my real brother, my real sisters. Uh, and what he was doing is raising the bar of understanding for what it means to be part of a family. Uh, the family of God, uh, they're together and, and, and they're uh, walking the same path together. And so our deepest relationships need to be people that we are doing that with. So we're in relationship, we're in proximity, and then thirdly, faithfulness. Um, If we would be among the family of God, the followers of Jesus, we're called to faithfully align ourselves with Jesus in his mission, uh, with a faith once handed down by the apostles to us. We need to be faithful to that, faithful to God, faithful 
to God's word. And even in, even though I think they, you know, we can, we can say here that this family of Jesus in this particular instance was didn't understand everything, even though they were, uh, and, and again, a generous reading, even though I think they were trying to be faithful to him. Um, uh, I know that I myself sometimes misunderstand what God might be up to. And sometimes I get anxious and I think God might not get it right. Can I trust him? Or I get angry, which is me thinking God got it wrong. Because if I think God is sovereign, if I believe that God is sovereign, then there's nothing that happens in my life that he isn't in charge of. Um, but if I get angry, does that mean I'm just saying, God, you did it wrong? If I'm anxious, am I thinking to myself, ultimately in the background, God can't handle this. He can't handle this in my personal life. He can't handle this in the life of my state or my city or my nation or the world itself when it seems to be literally uh, careening off into the abyss. Um, do I trust him? Do I trust Jesus to be the son of God that he claimed to be? Um, this is all really, really important for us. Relationship, proximity, and faithfulness. Those are three aspects of your spiritual life and my spiritual life as parts, members of the body of Christ. I wanna encourage you in those. Lean into those relationships. Certainly, first and foremost, your relationship with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Um, regular prayer, regular reading of scripture. Um, the fact that you're joining me on this devotional is an indicator of your hunger, but keep feeding on, pl on places that keep making you hungry for more of him. Um, not just more of a product or a service that I generate you know, or that some church generates. No, hungry for God, hungry for Jesus, hungry for the Holy Spirit, hungry to believe the gospel more and to, to live it out in word and deed yourself more and more. So proximity, gather with God's people if you can, gather and worship the Lord together. When you get together, don't just do it to congratulate one another on your outfit or your new car or on your casserole as you get together. No, gather to worship the Lord. Engage with God when you're with God's people. And, and faithfulness, yes, faithfulness to not only come and see what the Lord has done, but to go and tell, go out on mission, join Jesus on the mission he is on, uh, on in this world. I think that's so, so very important. All right, a couple of quotes for you before I let you go. Uh, I love uh, Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That title is actually a quote from Frederick Nietzsche, which most people don't know that. But um, but the phrase itself is a really good one. What does it look like to have a long obedience in the same direction? In that book, which is just a wonderful book, um, he says this, we would very soon become contemptuous of a God whom we could figure out like a puzzle or learn to use like a tool. No, if God is worth our attention at all, he must be a God we can look up to, a God we must look up to. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what they were experiencing right there that day uh, when it comes to Jesus. You know, just, man, I, we actually don't have him completely figured out, do we? Uh, and I think that's true for us on an ongoing basis. Um, the, uh, the writer, uh, Philip Yancey says, the message of the Bible in one sentence is this, God wants his family back. Yeah, 
And if that resonates with you, um, if you've never become a believer before, why wouldn't you become a believer? Why don't you respond to him? Mark wants you to ask the question, who is Jesus, and then answer it. And Mark wants you to also ask the question, how should you respond to Jesus, and then answer that question. So I ask you, how should you respond to him? He wants his family back. Um, and, and I know uh, we all, our, our spiritual lives undulate. I, I know some of you drift from time to time. I know some of you uh, literally um, turn your back some of the time and, and go away, walking away from the Lord and from the, uh, his ways and his wisdom. But why wouldn't you, as you listen to this study and as you hear me saying these words, why wouldn't you return to him? His arms are open wide. Uh, his hands are not a wagging finger like this, shaming you. No, his, his arms are open wide like a cross to welcome you back to him. He's already done all the work necessary for you to be forgiven, so why wouldn't you turn to him? Um, belong to his family, be in relationship with him, stay in close proximity to him, and faithfully follow Jesus. Last quote is Warren Wiersbe, uh, just a sage. He's home with the Lord now, I believe, but what a sage. I heard him uh, on a uh, pastor's conference once, just answering questions from pastors, like 500 pastors in the room, and he was taking questions, and just so brilliant. You, you could look that up online yourself if you'd like to. He's got a book called On Being a Servant of God, um, which I go back to over and over again. Uh, just great short little uh, readings on, or writings rather, on what it means to to have turned my heart over to Jesus, have wanted to to live in relationship with him, to, to be in close proximity to him and to be faithful to his calling in my life. And here's what he says. He says, obedience to the will of God gives you wings, not chains. <laughs> That's so good, isn't it? He says, you are never more free than when you fulfill the plan God has for your life. I got to read that again because I, I think I need to hear it again. Obedience to the will of God gives you wings, not chains. You are never more free than when you fulfill the plan God has for your life. Ah, yeah. Man, you got to think about that. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful quote. I'll put all of these quotes, by the way, in the show notes, um, which you can access on the platform you're on if they have a if they have a, 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 place, a link for you to do that. If not, go to thevillagechapel.com and you'll be able to find all of the show notes for this uh, podcast. Just look up the podcast on the website there and you'll be able to access all of that. And this is from Mark chapter three, the last, um, uh, last uh, five or six verses there, verses 31 to 35. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for inviting us and welcoming us, welcoming us to be a part of your family. Uh, uh, thank you so much that you came to earth. You didn't have to, uh, but you even came not only enduring what it must have meant for you, the infinite God, uh, to be confined to one particular human body uh, with one particular moment in space-time history, and all of the frustrations, all of the anxieties, all of the uh, needs, the physical needs, the emotional needs, all of that, that it is to be human. And yet you did all of that without sin. So we turn to you. Uh, we give thanks that you did that because then when you went to the cross, you could die for my sins um, and for my brothers and sisters' sins. And we're grateful for that. So we put our trust, our hope, and our confidence in you. And we express our gratitude to you for welcoming us into the family of God. 
pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.